0: The two most scrutinized coordinator hires in the SEC have been made. Alabama has hired Tommy Reese as its offensive coordinator and Kevin Steele, a very familiar face, as its defensive coordinator. We will get into that on this edition of SEC Football Unfiltered, our podcast from the USA Today Network. I'm Blake Topmeyer alongside John Adams. Before we get into the coordinator talk, though, John, National Signing Day was last week, and it really came and went without, well, much fanfare. The National Signing Day that was in, in February and still is in February has been overshadowed by the December signing period that came into the world in 2017. That is the main signing period now, but you know there was some chatter about Jaden Rashada at Florida. Of course, that NIL deal unraveled, and he did not wind up at Florida, and that, sucked up a lot of the attention. However, when you look at the recruiting rankings on the backside of signing day, I thought it was notable that the top two quarterback prospects are SEC bound. Now they weren't talked about that much last week because they already signed in December, but it was sort of a refresher as you looked at the rank- recruiting rankings that depending on your recruiting service of choice, either Arch Manning was the number one ranked recruit in this class, And I say he's SEC bound. He's actually going to Texas, but I'm jumping the gun there. He will play it in the SEC at some point in his career with Texas coming into the fold uh, no later than 2025. So he starts off at the Big 12, but he will be eventually SEC bound. And then Tennessee signed five-star recruit Nico Iamaleava, which for our sake we're going to refer to as Nico from here on out. He's recruited rated as the number one recruit by on three. Arch is rated as the number one recruit by 24, seven sports. One's going to Texas. One's going to Tennessee. Makes you wonder, John, who's getting the better prize here? Because I do think these guys are going to be compared one against the other, at least early on in in their careers.
1: Yeah. And more so when Texas joins the sec, I was hoping that would happen in 2024 uh, that's not working out, so we'll have to wait to 2025 when both QBs could be hitting their stride. I mean, I think it's very possible that both that both players uh, start as freshmen. That's a possibility. Uh, I'm not saying it will happen, but it could. When you choose between the two, and I and I don't know, it's what these recruiting services, what they base these things on, it's pretty vague. It would be hard for me to pick against a Manning, though. When you look at the, when you look at the family's success, none of those guys have flopped. You just kind of expect Arch to be really good too. Not saying Nico won't be. I remember when Peyton Manning came to Tennessee, uh, nineteen ninety four. Tennessee signed another highly rated quarterback. These were two of the top ten quarterbacks in the country in the high school ranks. Brandon Stewart from Stevensville, Texas, and then Peyton Manning. And Brandon was actually more athletic, more of a dual threat guy. Of course, Peyton pretty good at dropping back and chunking it. Uh, But when they first started as freshmen and there were injuries, so they competed for the starting job and it was kind of undecided at first who would win, but Peyton won out, and the rest is history, of course. He's now in the NFL Hall of Fame. But I think Nico, from everything I read, is is very talented and a great fit for Josh Heupel's offense.
0: Yeah, uh, and the, er- can- the the early feedback on him seems promising. I mean, there has not been a lot of public discourse yet about Nico, but but you hear kind of in back channels, he's he was an early enrollee, was involved in like scout team preparation for that bowl game. And in the early chatter that you hear is sounds pretty promising for him. The interesting thing is for both Nico at Tennessee and Arch Manning at Texas, they step into a situation where the starting quarterback seems to be apparent at Texas. Quinn Ewers returns, um, you know, kind of started, started pretty good last year. I, I thought he looked really good in that Alabama game up to the point where he was hurt, came back and he was okay. He had some really good games, and then he had some other games where he uh, was almost a detriment, really. I think about that TCU game in particular, he really struggled, but he returns as the starter. And then at Tennessee, we saw Joe Milton, after the injury to Hendon Hooker, take up the reins and finish things out last year, and and he delivered a very fine performance in that Orange Bowl victory over Clemson, earned MVP honors in those games. So it does seem like each program has a veteran starter who will begin the season, barring something unforeseen, still in that starter quarterback chair. You mentioned, John, you would not be surprised if both of these freshmen, however, start at some point during this season. I wonder, if one of them is to take over the starting job, let's say by the end of September, who do you think would be more unlike, more likely to, to unseat the the incumbent there. Do you think Arch Manning is more likely to, to overthrow Quinn Ewers by the end of September, or do you think Nico has a better shot to be Tennessee's starting quarterback by the end of the season's first month?
1: Well, a lot of factors play into that. But again, when, one thing you know about a Manning is they're prepared for the situation. They always seem so. I know Peyton was. They seem, they've all seemed more advanced than what they should be coming out, coming into college. And for that reason, um, I would think I would probably bet on Arch Manning. You brought up about Quentin Years. I, I really liked him in that first quarter against Alabama before he was injured. I never liked him that much afterward was very inconsistent. I also think there will be more pressure on Steve Sarkeesian than there will be Josh Heupel. And so more pressure means a way to placate the fan base is bring in Arch Manning. I mean if yours let's face it, if you're is Quinton your struggles at all, struggles at all, the fan base will be clamoring for Arch Manning and if Steve Sarkeesian doesn't deliver him, he doesn't have Josh Heupel's record to fall back on and say, well, I just took you, uh, just won an orange bowl and and got you in the top, top six in the country. Josh Heupel can do that. I don't think Tennessee fans would challenge whatever Josh Heupel decides. And also because I think they genuinely like Joe Milton. And that doesn't mean... That Nico won't be better right away. I just think the, I think both will be really good college quarterbacks. I just think the circumstances make me believe that, that Arch Manning would be the more likely guy to start first.
0: Yeah. and, And I agree with that, John. I think particularly when you look at the schedule and factor some of that in, you know, what you're saying is Steve Sarkeesian entering his third season at Texas coming off of an eight and five year, but he needs to show continued momentum. And then, you know, week two, Texas is at Tuscaloosa, at Alabama in week two. Things could go sideways there in a hurry. And then week four, they're at Baylor. It's typically a tough game here, at Mm -hmm. least, you know, in the last decade plus when Baylor has kind of redefined its program. You could see a scenario where Texas starts two and two. Those games at Alabama, at Baylor, they're two and two through four weeks. And Sarkeesian's facing a little heat. Well, what's one way to turn down the heat? You trot out your five-star freshman, and you show, hey, maybe I don't have this thing solved right now here in the first month of my third season, but look at this five-star Manning I just signed. The future of Texas football is bright, so let's just turn down the heat for a second here because I got this thing going, and I got my quarterback of the future right here. Um, I, I think I agree with you that the better chance of seeing someone, one of these guys start early in the season... I think it's probably Manning because of all the factors we just discussed uh, facing Texas. Now, if I were to say who's more likely to, say, throw for at least 1,000 yards in his freshman season, I really think Nico's kind of a bet to get that. I think he's going to get playing time throughout this year. I think there's going to be some Tennessee blowouts where he gets ample time, and he may take over as starter by the end of the year. Uh, So I, I feel pretty good. He's going to get some time throughout this season. We're, we're going to see him sling it, whether in a starting role or a backup role. But if I were, if I were to say one of these guys is going to start in the first half of the season, I, I, I agree with you. I think it's Arch Manning.
1: Well, I think another factor in this, Blake, with Tennessee is, and this puts a little pressure on Joe Milton, the expectations for Tennessee's offense are so high. I mean, they're astronomical. They just, Tennessee led the nation in points per game, led the nation in total yards per game. You average 46 points a game and you put up 38, and people are going, hey, well, well what's wrong with the offense? Is it the quarterback? I just think they're good. Those standards will be so high. I do think, just based on recent history, it, it's hard to for your quarterback to last all to start all 12 games. I think Tennessee will need both quarterbacks. And I think you kind of hit on it is you need to, you've got to get no matter who starts it. And I think it's safe to assume that Joe Milton will start the season opener. Uh, But I think you've got to play the other guy in Nico. And I'm not, I'm not a proponent of a two quarterback situation system, but you look at it and you think about what all's placed, all the all the things a quarterback has to do in Hypo's system. I just think you need two quarterbacks and you got to have the number two guy ready, no matter who it is. and jo- well, we just saw it at Tennessee, where Joe Milton had to come in, and it probably didn't didn't matter who would have started against Vanderbilt. It was fifty six nothing game in the rain. But in that Clemson game, you had a guy as good as Joe Milton as your backup where he could go out there and beat a top 10 team convincingly. So I think it's very important that you get both guys ready. I think it could play out a little differently at Texas, though.
0: John, I wrote a a column recently that I guess offered a bit of a glowing view of the future of of Texas football. I'm not sure – you're quite as as bullish on, on the horns maybe as I am, so I want to unpack that a little bit because I was impressed by this Texas recruiting class because it goes deeper than Arch Manning, and they, they signed the number three class in the nation. You, you look at the top five in the recruiting rankings. Alabama's one, Georgia's two, Texas, Oklahoma, Ohio State is number five, and then another SEC school, LSU, is number six. Texas signed Arch Manning, the 24-7 sports number one ranked prospect overall in the nation. They also signed the number one ranked running back prospect, Cedric Baxter, out of the state of Florida. And as we alluded to earlier, there's been some dialogue that maybe Texas and Oklahoma would be coming aboard in the SEC in 2024. According to reports last week, not all parties can, can, can agree to that. Seems like there's There's a uh, thorn in the side there that Fox is is playing as part of that media rights breakup deal. And so as it stands, Texas and Oklahoma still on tap for 2025. However, when you look at the momentum, I think I see in Texas's program, they had their best defense that they've had at Texas since the the year they lost to Alabama in the national championship game, the, the 2009 season. This was their best defense this past year they've had since then. They went eight and five. All five of those losses were by one possession. They didn't get blown out a single time all year, seven points or fewer in each of those losses. I know that's the rallying cry of the mediocre team. But when you combine that with the recruiting momentum, and I think they're going to get a boost when they join the SEC, we saw it at Texas A m we even saw it at Missouri, I think Texas could be a real force whenever they arrive into the SEC, whether that be 2024 or 2025. I know I know that Texas is back jokes. You know, it, 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 people used to say that in <laughs> seriousness, right? I mean, anytime they'd win a big game, Texas is back. Uh-huh. Now it's become sarcasm. Whenever they lose to Kansas, people say, Oh, Texas is back. Um, I, I know the jokes and I know the, the, chortles. that, Oh yeah, sure. Texas is back. I'm not saying they're back. I'm saying, I think they're trending in an upward direction. I, I think they're, they're going to make a splash. I think when they join this conference.
1: Well, I'm not surprised that Texas has such a highly ranked recruiting class. Uh, I am surprised that Texas has been so mediocre for so long. The resources of that program, uh, it's its a great opportunity with name, image, and likeness deals. I, I'm sure Texas can match anyone when it comes to that. Austin, I think, is the 11th largest city in the country now it's it's no longer a college town or even a mid-sized city it's one of the biggest cities in the country uh so there there's so much there's so much to work with there my question about texas is i'm not sure if steve sarkeesian is a championship coach that's i know he's a good play caller and uh, But I look at his track record. I'm just not sold on him for being a championship coach, that he can take Texas to the national championship. That would be my question. I think it checks all the other boxes, and certainly with recruiting. And and Sarkeesian is, is certainly good with offense. But
0: uh, I don't know. I, I think I'd rather have Josh Heupel. <laughs> Let me ask you this, John, that there's when Texas and Oklahoma join the league, that's going to be two more teams that have won a national championship within the last 25 years. I kind of use that as my barometer of have you won a national championship in recent memory? I don't know if that's really recent memory, but I'm I'm drawing the line at 25 years. Okay, so I'm going to give you five schools and say who's the most who will win the, the national championship first among these five schools. I'm taking Georgia out of the mix because Georgia's (laughs) they're favored to three Pete next year. I'm taking Alabama out of the mix. I think it's unfair to include them in that conversation. We all expect, well, I know you and I expect John. I think if, if Nick Saban coaches another five years, he's probably going to win another national championship. We believe that we both believe in the, the trajectory that Brian Kelly has LSU on. I think we're both bullish on, on LSU's chances to get a national championship under Brian Kelly. So to make this a more difficult question, I'm removing those three schools from the equation. So here are five other schools that have won a national championship in the last 25 years. Tennessee won in 1998. They're barely getting in under my 25-year wire there, but they won in 98, so they're, they're in the conversation. Oklahoma in 2000. Texas's last national championship was 2005. Florida won in 06 and 08, and Auburn won a national championship in 2010. Of those five schools, Tennessee, Oklahoma, Texas, Florida, and Auburn, who would you say will be the first to win a national championship coming up here?
1: I would probably pick Oklahoma based on its history. And although it's been in the college football playoff recently and contended for national titles, it hasn't won one. And you go back and look at Oklahoma through the years, all the decades in which it did win a national championship, all the great coaches it had. And I'm not sure Brent, Brent Venables is the right guy. Uh, but. When I look at because I figured Georgia national championship, Georgia's probably got it locked up for the next five or six years, and Alabama <laughs> will maybe sneak in there for one. And, and so so we're talking way down the road. there may be a there may be a new coach at Oklahoma, maybe Lincoln Riley'll leave Southern Cal and come back. but uh, yeah, so I would just pick Oklahoma
0: based on history. and I thought about that. But but my counter argument to that is if Oklahoma could win only one national championship with Bob Stoops as its coach, very well regarded coach, had Oklahoma humming throughout his tenure. If Lincoln Riley could not win a national championship at Oklahoma, and now they're joining the SEC, where life's going to get harder. I don't know that I would pick Oklahoma, and I think I'm digging in with Texas. To me, Texas (laughs) is in that situation. We think about Georgia for years, I think we thought Georgia. Why why are they why are they not winning national titles? They had all the advantages, right? They had the the in-state recruiting riches in particular. Why was it that Georgia went four decades plus without winning a national championship? And now that giant has awakened. I look at Texas in a similar way. They are a revenue giant. They're among the top couple schools every year in revenue. They have the in-state recruiting tuition or excuse me, the, the in-state recruiting talent to recruit to, they have an, you know, a nationally recognizable brand. I just think there's a lot of advantages to Texas. I think Texas is kind of in that position where I saw Georgia as for years of, you know, even when they win eight, nine games, you think, why aren't they winning 12 or 13 games, um, with the amount of talent in Texas. And if there was ever a reason not to go to Texas, if you're an in-state kid, you think, oh, well, I want to go play in the best conference in the country. I'm going to go play for an SEC school. Now, you can still play for Longhorns and play for the best conference in the country with Texas coming into the SEC. I also think Texas A&M seems to be teetering here a little bit under Jimbo Fisher. It's an opportunity
1: for the Longhorns. Well, you're definitely all in on Texas. And and that's a great point you made. Why has not Oklahoma won more championships? Alabama's a good answer, uh, <laughs> and uh, and now George is a good answer too. And if you would have put LSU, if you'd have given me the option of LSU, but you didn't. Yeah, I, I knew you'd take them. Yeah, I, yeah, you did. Uh, I mean, I think they'll win an LSU will win a national championship before any of these teams do. But I think Oklahoma, it's gone so long. Law of averages, this many good teams, this many talented recruiting classes, this tradition, it's kind of due. You mentioned Georgia earlier. I just think it's Oklahoma's due, and I also think the desperation factor. As is the case with Texas, I think when you ask uh, boosters to pony up more money for the NIL, if you convince them, we got to buy this thing. It's not just gonna happen on you know, because we we offer them a scholarship to come to Norman, Oklahoma. We gotta buy, we gotta outbid everybody else if you want a championship. I think that appeals to the Sooner fan base. And they really ought
0: to guarantee the boosters a spot in the championship parade. You know, you you donate at least five million dollars to the signing of of a, of a top recruiting class, you get a spot in a car in the parade, if you win a national championship, they slap it on the side. This person you, paid for this championship, bought, bought by so-and-so. It's like the old uh, Florida Marlins World Series, you know, they they, they they bought those babies. You You almost need a sliding scale. Yeah, you can be
1: in the parade, but if you give enough, when they present that national championship trophy right there on the field after the game and on national television, you want to be right up there the man who gives the most or woman the fan that gives the most they should be right there you know let the let the quarterback hold the trophy for a second the coach and then you turn it over to your Nil guy the guy that made <laughs> all this possible.
0: That's right. I mean, the Super Bowl, the 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 owners right there to accept the trophy on stage, right? Yeah. Bring the bring the boosters up. The person that bought these <laughs> these players is here to celebrate. All right. Before we change gears to the coordinator talk, John, I want I want to get uh, want to dive into this just a little bit further because you you were you you went with Oklahoma there. You don't like my Texas pick of being the next from these this group of five to win a national championship. Um. So if you weren't if you if you couldn't pick Oklahoma and said okay, who's your next choice? Uh, to win a national championship from the group of Tennessee, Texas, Florida, and Auburn, who would you take? It'd be Tennessee. Tennessee?
1: Yeah, because I like Josh Heupel so much
0: as a coach.
1: uh, I think, and I mentioned this in talking about Oklahoma, I think NIL is a strength for Tennessee. I think uh, you've got a desperate fan base, a fan base that loves its coach, a fan base that is recognized now that its potential has sort of been unearthed by Josh Heupel, reminding itself just how good this program can be, I think Tennessee has one of the best home field advantage now advantages in college football. Combine all that with a really good base for regional recruiting, um, and and then and l- let's face it, we're in an offensive era. It's a very offensive era now. the the defense is is struggling to catch up, literally and figuratively. And so I just think Josh Heupel has what it takes, and they, Tennessee's giving him plenty of money. He's got a big buyout on his end. I think he'll be here a while, and so I would, I would pick Tennessee. In fact, it was probably close between me and between Oklahoma and Tennessee for me as to who would get it. And I guess I picked Oklahoma because – Since I live in Knoxville, I didn't want to look like a homer.
0: Mm. All right. All right, John, let's get into the uh, kind of the news of the last couple weeks, which were the two coordinator positions opening in Alabama. Those have been filled now. Uh, Tommy Reese, the 30-year-old coordinator from Notre Dame, has been hired to run the offense. And then Kevin Steele, who is now in his third stint, Working on Nick Saban's staff, sixty-four-year-old Kevin Steele is well regarded, very, very respected as a defensive coordinator and a recruiter. He's done it many, many places. Uh, he's done at Alabama, Clemson, LSU, Auburn, Miami. I mean, this is a guy that uh, has uh, bounced around throughout the South, but he's never out of a job for long. Um, and as uh, really did some good work, I thought, with uh, excuse me, Auburn's defenses in particular there for a few years stretch under Gus Malzahn. I'll tell you my reaction to these hires, John. I was curious to see what you think as well. Initially when Alabama hired, you know, when reports surfaced to these hires, I thought, really? That's that's who they're hiring? I, I expected a little bit more of that from, from 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 these hires. But then as the dust settled here and I had a chance to chew it over a little bit, I think with coordinators hires, you just have to accept. Usually you're not going to get the cheerleader cheerleading captain to say yes to you for the prom date. Like you you go into these things and you think, oh, I'm gonna take the cheerleading captain to prom. But then you realize, no, she's she's had a date for six months. She's not going with you. And so once you realize that you aren't going to get that person anyway, and you look up look at who you wound up with, you think, okay, maybe this can work. Maybe that maybe this is all right. And I think that's the way I look at these coordinator hires now with Tommy Reese at Notre Dame. Look, the Irish ranked like 41st nationally in scoring offense or something last year. If you're just looking at the stats, I don't think you'll be enamored with this hire. But Brian Kelly tried to bring Tommy Reese with him to LSU when he left Notre Dame for this job. So it's not just Nick Saban that thinks highly of him. Brian Kelly thought highly of him, too. And he was instrumental in helping get Sam Hartman, one of the top quarterback transfers, of this offseason to Notre Dame, the Wake Forest transfer uh, transferred to the Irish in part uh, to to link up with, with Tommy Reese and, and work in his system. And then with Kevin Steele, I look at it as, well, I mean, you know, he's, he's like that four-star diner, the, 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 the diner on the corner that's that's got a four-star review on Yelp. You know what you're getting. It'll be a solid meal. It's not going to change your life. Uh, you're not going to go away hungry either. It's solid, um, and uh, you know I don't think you'll leave disappointed. What do you what do you think about these these two hires? Is that too much of a of a glowing review of Nick Saban's job and filling two important positions on his staff?
1: Well, I'm I'm kind of like you on this, uh, which doesn't make for much debate. But uh, yeah, I was puzzled at the hiring of Tommy Reese initially. Uh, but when I read that Brian Kelly wanted to take him with him to LSU, then you have two of the best coaches in the country. You have the best coach in Nick Saban, uh, at least considered the greatest of all time now with all those championships. And Brian Kelly has been very successful as one every, everywhere he's been. And they both believe in this guy. I, I think that's a pretty good testament to his ability. And you know, when I look at Notre Dame's offense this year, I didn't see a wondrously talented offense. I'm not so sure there will be a wondrously talented offense at Alabama either. So Tommy Reese needs to live up to the expectations presented by Brian Kelly and Nick Saban. You know, this is not going to be a a Steve Sarkeesian-like season where you go in there and you're surrounded by all these future pros high round draft picks and you just, I mean, how can, how bad can it be with those guys? Uh, so I don't know who else Dick Saban could have gotten. So I'm okay with that hire. The same thing with Kevin Steele. I mean, I heard a couple of names, well-known names, Jeremy Pruitt's former Tennessee head coach, former coordinator at Alabama, um, for, uh, on a national championship team, a coordinator, defensive coordinator when Florida State won a national title, Todd Grantham or Jeremy Pruitt. I would take Kevin Steele over either one of those guys. I mean, it, without hesitation. Now, how much Jeremy Pruitt could help your your recruiting with his babysitter and wife uh, chipping in, I don't know. But Kevin Steele has a great reputation as a recruiter, as much as he does a defense coordinator. And he certainly knows what it takes to win in the SEC. I can't even name all the places he's been in the SEC. So I think, and again, you know you'll have a lot of defensive talent at Alabama, and you also know that Nick Saban is a pretty good defensive coach. And you know that Kevin Steele can work with him. So – Maybe you don't throw up a raid over these hires, but I think Alabama fans should feel feel good about them.
0: Yeah, I think if we look back at like the beginning of these searches, John, there's this revisionist history with Nick Saban, I think, that he can go out there and hire whoever he wants and and everybody's lining up to work for Nick Saban and be his coordinator. And maybe people should be, because a lot of people who work as Nick Saban's coordinator end up being head coaches. But I do think this is sort of the myth of being a seven time national championship coach is that, you know, we all look for explanations for, for how a guy like can, can win seven national championships. And so we start creating these narratives that just aren't exactly true. Like it it seems like this narrative has been formed that like Nick Saban is a visionary hirer and he, he can get whoever he wants and, and look at his great track record for hiring coordinators. But when you look at who he's hired, I mean, yeah, Lane Kiffin, very well-known name, and, and Lane Kiffin is flourishing now, but when Nick Saban hired Lane Kiffin, his last his last employer thought so little of him that they left him on a tarmac. Uh, Steve Sarkeesian was fired twice, and, and and Nick Saban kept hiring him. He was fired by the Falcons, and he was fired as a college head coach before that, and, and Saban kept hiring him. Bill O'Brien, he was in need of work. Uh, Kirby Smart, he hadn't been fired, but it wasn't like Kirby Smart was what Kirby Smart is now. Kirby Smart had no Division One coordinator experience when Saban tapped him as his coordinator. Um, now Jeremy Pruitt, I guess, was the one heist you could say—a a coordinator who was red hot at the time, coming off of success at Florida State and Georgia. But I think there's some caveats to that one because I mean Pruitt's an Alabama man; he'd already worked for Saban—that's his alma mater—and I think. As good of a job as he was doing as a coordinator, he was starting to wear to wear out his welcome at Georgia. But it's not as if Saban, throughout the course of his career, has gone in and and hired guys like Garrett Riley, like the the Broyles Award winner from TCU, the the hot shot young coordinator that Clemson just hired. That's not really been Saban's track record. It's it's either guys that need sort of a um, an image boost, like Elaine Kiffin or Steve Sarkeesian, you know, guys that are down and out, but were once big names, or um, you know, I think the uh, the Tommy Reese hire kind of fits in the mold of like a Jim McElwain type hire, like a young coordinator that uh, you know maybe didn't just come off of winning a Broyles Award, but uh, you know, someone gettable off somebody else's staff. I, I just think you know we've we've painted this picture where Saban can go out and get anybody he wants, but how many times has he really done that for for his coordinator hires? That's a good point.
1: And, and you talk about he hasn't really got those um, hot shot young offensive coordinators. But maybe he thinks of Tommy Reese that way. Sometimes I, I feel like with coordinators, uh, some of these coordinators are better at promoting themselves than others. And, and I think sometimes guys that don't don't make as many headlines, who maybe don't interview as well, who aren't as media friendly, don't get the recognition of some other guys. And and so, again, I, I don't know that much about Tommy Reese, but I know he's 30 years old, and I know two outstanding coaches like him. Uh, that tells me, first of all, that Nick Saban is comfortable with, with Tommy's offensive philosophy. And uh I think that's important that you're kind of on the same page. Nick Saban has been willing – to adapt uh, to whatever changes are in the wind. He's he's done that repeatedly in keeping Alabama on top. And I don't know exactly what direction they're headed in, uh, but maybe he's looking the next season. I don't think Nick Saban looks beyond the next season and thinks, well, two or three years, we could be in the running for a national title. Every year is a national title year for Nick Saban. You know, this,
0: you know what this tells me, though, John, with, with the hiring of Tommy Reese is Alabama might go back to a little bit more of that old school Alabama offense. Unless, unless Tommy Reese has like gotten his back pocket, you know, this, this system where they're spreading the field, slinging it all over the yard. I mean, if, if we use his history as his guide, at Notre Dame, there's a lot of running the football. Uh, this guy that likes to run the ball. So Alabama fans that want you to pound the rock, you might be happy with this hire. He likes a lot of two tight end personnel. Uh, sounds like maybe a, an indication that Alabama could be going back to the past here a little bit with its offense. And it also sounds like to me that uh, if I'm Jalen Milrow, I'm not sure this was the offensive coordinator I was hoping Alabama would hire. Of course, Jalen Milrow, one of the headliners in that quarterback competition. If I'm Jalen Milrow, I want a wide open offense where I can I, I can use my legs as much as my arm. Maybe Tommy Reese will position him to do that. But to me, this hire maybe sounds better for uh, either Ty Simpson, one of the freshman quarterbacks, one of the two freshmen Alabama signed, or as you keep saying, John, maybe there's a transfer out there that they can get in the summer.
1: I still think there needs to be. And I think that might be more important uh, than the offense coordinator hire. Uh, right now I don't see Alabama with a championship quarterback. But admittedly, Ty Simpson is a blank slate, and I don't know what the freshmen are like. Uh, but I think it's uh I think it's going to be a challenge for Tommy Reese because he's coming into a program. There's going to be a lot of pressure on Tommy Reese. He's coming into a pro to a program that's accustomed to, to having Heisman Trophy quarterbacks, at least contenders for Heisman trophies, and these guys have. Because of them, that's helped make Alabama a very dynamic offense. I don't see that kind of offense here next season. And so if Alabama's not scoring at the uh, previous pace, that will put more pressure on uh, Tommy Reese. Uh, But the bottom line, if Alabama can win this way, the fans will be okay.
0: Final thought, John. We got the uh, we got the Super Bowl coming up this weekend. We are first and foremost, obviously, a college football and an SEC football in particular podcast. But uh, Jalen Hurts, the uh, one-time Alabama quarterback, is going to be uh, it's starring maybe in this, in the Super Bowl here. He's led the Eagles to, to that game against uh, Kansas City. Is there is there a more likable guy going right now? Do you think in football than Jalen Hurts? I mean, it just seems like you know, I wrote a column about this recently. Like. People are going to be rooting for him across the country, I, I think. I mean, if you're a Chiefs fan, you know, hope he goes you know, two for 20 out there on Sunday. But the way Jalen Hurts conducted himself throughout his career, going from Alabama, uh, stardom there to getting benched in the championship, to backup role, to then being a Heisman runner up at Oklahoma. Uh, I mean, as, as I put it, I, I think people are going to be rooting for Jalen Hurts from Philadelphia, to his hometown of Houston, to Tuscaloosa, to Norman, and, well, to the West Coast, too, because you know Raiders fans aren't going to be rooting for the Chiefs. But, I mean, what a story, I think, for Jalen Hurts to go from um, getting benched in a national championship. But I, I, I never really believed this was a guy that was down and out. You, you see the underdog narratives now. I don't buy that. It, to me, he was a great quarterback who got benched, and he proved it at, at Oklahoma, and he's, and he's proving it again. And you go
1: back and you look at that decision by Nick Saban. That decision won the national championship. He put a low in there, and he threw that incredible touchdown pass to Devonnie Smith, and that was uh, a game that Georgia seemed to just about to get its first championship under t- Kirby Smart. The thing about Jalen Hurts, he appeals like you brought up. He appeals to so many different people. Alabama can say, that's our guy. Oklahoma can say, that's our guy. And uh, let's face it, uh, as good as Nick Saban has been and the most successful coach in college football, fans love to say, huh, what did Nick Saban do? He didn't think this guy could play. And they'll forget that Tua, that Tua won the national championship. Wasn't good enough for Nick Saban.
0: Yeah, well, all the while Nick Saban has been incredibly proud of Jalen Hurts. I think it's oh yeah, and his love oh, yeah. loves to see this success. But sure, you're, you're, you're right.
1: I, I think yeah, and he was not. And again, uh, another reason I like the Jalen Hurts story is we're getting away from this now that the protocol, what the prototypical NFL quarterback is, and he's part of that. I mean, I don't think many people thought he could be an NFL passer. They thought he was a really good college quarterback, but he just kept getting better. And to me, that sends a message to all college quarterbacks. You don't have to stay where you are. You can get better. And and Jalen Hurts' work ethic has a lot to do with this. He kept getting better. He improved when he went to Oklahoma. He learned a new offense. And then credit the Eagles with finally saying, well, we got to go with him. Let's build an offense that will bring out his best attributes, and and so it's it's nice to see that.
0: Who are you picking in the game, John? I, we we've established on this podcast how good we are at making picks. Uh, <laughs> Chiefs, yeah. Eagles. Who, who are you picking?
1: Uh, oh, I, I'm a Chiefs guy with uh, Patrick Mahomes. Okay, So yeah, I'd go.
0: What about you? I'm taking the Eagles. I grew up a uh, Raiders fan, you know, and I, I guess that's <laughs> still maybe kind of my team. I don't, I don't know if I have as much rooting interest in any in in anything <laughs> anymore. Still follow it, but uh, don't really root so hard for for teams anymore. But yeah, as a kid, the NFL, um, you know, was big sport for me, and and the Raiders were always my my team. Um, so I'm I, I can't pick the Chiefs. so I'm, I'm going with the Eagles. Those were. Uh
1: those were, that was a great old AFL rivalry. That was a, those Kansas city, Oakland Raider games, they had some classic games, a lot of great players.
0: Yeah. For some reason. Um, and the reason I, I kind of fell for the the Raiders was, uh, I really liked their coach, Art Shell uh, when I was a, <laughs> really, <laughs> when I, yeah. When I was a youngster, he was coaching there, uh, coaching the, the Raiders in the late eighties, uh, early nineties, uh, I believe at that point in their, their journey, they were the Los Angeles Raiders. And, uh, yeah, for whatever reason, I, I really liked him as a, as a little kid, as a coach. So been <laughs> rooting for the Raiders ever since I liked, uh, well, see, I was a big Al Davis guy.
1: I, I liked the old, old AFL, the way they came in and you know they, they were just different. They were fun and exciting and they were the, the new league on the block. And, uh, I didn't like it because I was a Baltimore Colts fan. I didn't like it when Joe Namath and the Jets stunned uh, a huge favorite in the Super Bowl. But one thing people forget with Kansas City, I mean, that was kind of the turning point of the AFL-NFL battle, and all, they became one big happy family, was that the Jets beating the Colts. Uh, but but it was the next year when Kansas City really handled Minnesota. Kansas City's team was absolutely loaded with Hall of Fame players, future Hall of Fame players, very talented team. And I like Hank Stram, the old Kansas City Chiefs coach. So I'll I'll still pull for the Chiefs.
0: All right. Well, even though I won't, I will say there's not many not many NFL environments where I think you could say uh, oh, that's, that's as good as some of the best college environments. I usually kind of gravitate more to the college environments, but boy, the, the tailgating scene at Arrowhead and the, and the stadium scene there, I mean, that's, as, that's about as good as it gets in football. So fortunately for the Eagles, uh, they, they won't have to go into to Arrowhead. And we know Alabama fans, and I, I really think SEC fans in general um, have, have really kind of fallen for the Jalen Hurts story. I, I think there's gonna be a lot of folks throughout the South Uh, pulling for the Eagles and and Jalen Hurts in this one. Uh, All right, John, uh, we'll get back at it again next week. Thanks for listening to this edition of SEC Football Unfiltered.